just before World War II in the Texas town of Itasca, Texas, kind of hard to say, um, there was a fire that broke out in a school. And tragically, there were 263 children who died in that, in that fire. As you can imagine, it devastated this small little Texas town. And when the war started soon thereafter, nobody had the ability to, to rebuild that school. It just lay dormant. The kids didn't have a place to go until after the war was over and the community came together and decided it was time to rebuild that school. But when they did, they knew that they were going to do everything they could to prevent a tragedy like that from ever happening again. And so they put in a state-of-the-art fire prevention system. I mean, there really wasn't anything like it in the world. It was a sprinkler system, and it had all kinds of sensors and intended to make sure that that, that fire wouldn't create such a tragedy that it had done in the past. Well, it, it really seemed to be something that the community rallied around. There were lots of kids who came to the school. In fact, they came from other areas. Uh, a lot of times, uh, or during this time, other teachers came into this area, and the school began to be very populated, so much so that shortly after they built it, they needed to expand the school. And when they did, they went in and found that that state-of-the-art sprinkler system that gave everybody such a sense of safety had never been connected to a source of water. (laughs) I tell you that story because in Ephesians, we've been talking about all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. We've been talking about how God has supplied us with everything we need for life and godliness. He, He held nothing back. He gave us everything. The question is, are you connected? Are those promises flowing through your life? Do you walk in the experience of what God has made possible? Are you connected? This morning, Paul will turn from a description of these blessings that we've been walking through over the last couple of weeks, and now he'll turn it into a prayer that we might experience those blessings in the life that we live. He wants us to be connected. He wants us to experience all that God has made possible. That's the heart of his prayer. And really, I hope for each and every one of us, that's the heart of our prayer as well. So let's go to the Lord together with that in mind. Father, we come to you this morning really wanting to share in that heart of Paul's prayer. The prayer that we might experience the fullness of all the blessings that you've made possible. That we would be connected to the fountain of life, the hope that is never-ending. Father, help us to to know what that means, even what it looks like when when we see the the blessings that you've promised flowing through our lives, when we walk in the truths that you've proclaimed. We want to be that people. And so give us greater insight and understanding of what that might look like in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll pick up where we left off last in verse 15. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, if you'll read with me. It says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord... Let me back up. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, 
making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. As we start, I want you to notice that the evidence of their faith was a love for all the saints. It's consistent with what Jesus told his disciples when he said, they will know you are my disciples because of your love for one another. Paul is saying, look, I see your love for all the saints, and I know you're following Christ. And it's important to recognize that it's a love for all the saints. <laughs> that seems to be an important distinguishing characteristic of Christian love. Not just love for people who are like you, who, people who are in your group, people who make you look good. This is a love for those that may be hard to love the broken, the needy. It's a love that motivates you to move outside of your comfort zone. For an introvert, it's actually maybe a love that it motivates you to take initiative to some, towards someone instead of staying reserved and back. If you're an extrovert, it may be love to be still and quiet and listen to what someone has to say. But either way, it's a love that has the very same motivation, to love one another as Christ has loved us. A love without limit, without boundaries, without conditions. When you see that love, you know that people are walking with Christ. I brought this up last week. I'm going to mention it again because I think it's such a good, real-time, practical example because I think it's what we saw when we came together for our missions banquet. What did we see? We saw people of different ethnicities who came from different countries, who were involved in different churches, but for one reason, because of a faith and love in Jesus Christ. The evidence of our salvation was put on display in our love for one another. And that's what Paul is saying when he is looking to these Ephesians that he has spent time with. He's saying, look, I see your love for one another and I know you are walking with Christ. He gives thanks for the evidence of that love, but he then goes on to pray for them to grow in their faith. He wants them to live connected to the source of life, to fully experience all that God has made possible. Look again at 17, where he says, The Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Him being Jesus. Knowing Jesus is the, the source of all wisdom and understanding. The word Paul uses for knowledge here is a really cool Greek word. It's the word epinosis. All right? Everybody say that with me. Epinosis. Isn't that a fun word? See, you learned a Greek word this morning. It's an unusual word because the more common word is just simply gnosis. Knowledge. It's the accumulation of of information, to know about something. So, for example, if you take history in school, you're applying gnosis or knowledge to learn about important events, important people. You're, you're, you're researching. It's a well-informed understanding, but that's not the word Paul uses here. It's a different word. It's epinosis. It's a knowledge that comes from experience. Instead of learning about somebody like President Bush, it means that you actually spent time with him. 
Maybe went and played golf with him, had dinner with him, sat down with him and his family. And we all know that that kind of knowledge is completely different than something that you learn from a book. And that's the knowledge that Paul is speaking of. He's saying, I want you to know Jesus because of what you experience, not just based on what you hear. Because let me confront the reality that most every person in this room has grown up in the church. You've heard truths that you could repeat off the top of your head. And that's wonderful. But what Paul is praying is that that knowledge moves from what you know in your head to what you experience in your heart because it's how you live your life through a relationship with Jesus Christ. A knowledge that is based on a relationship with Christ. An understanding that comes by walking in faith. Truths that are revealed as you abide in Him. It's epinosis. It's a knowledge that comes through the experience of a relationship. And that's Paul's prayer. And look at how he continues in his prayer in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory in, the, in, the, in his inheritance in the saints, and what is the power of the surpassing greatness uh, towards you who believe. Paul is praying for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? The eyes of our heart to be enlightened. But really, it connects to what he's just said. He, he's wanting this to be a heart knowledge, not just a, a head knowledge. It, not just something that you gain from hearing, but you understand from living, from experiencing. The truth that guides your life. Knowledge that you put into practice. And, and Paul then unfolds. He unpacks it. He says, and when that's true, there are certain outcomes that exist in your life. And he gives us three. The first one is that you may know the hope of his calling. In other words, that you may understand God's will and purpose for your life. The more you know Christ, the more you are strengthened in his promises. The more his truth guide your life. And the more you walk in his truth, the more you understand that that is ground that you can stand on. It'll hold you. Reminds me of a story of a man who was on a journey. It was cold. It was in the winter. He'd walk down this road and come up to a big frozen lake. And the path that he needed was on the other side of that lake. He wasn't sure if that ice was going to be strong enough to hold him. So like any smart man, he gets on all fours. And just slowly makes his way very timidly as he goes across this frozen lake. He gets about halfway and freezes. Because behind him, he, he, he hears the sound of a chariot being pulled by six stallion horses. And they don't even hesitate. They come off that road, onto the ice, straight across to the other side, and on down the road. That's the picture that Paul has in He's saying, I want you to be so convinced of the truths of God that you apply to your life, that you don't have a timidity of whether they're going to hold you or not. But you have a bold faith that presses on with great confidence. That's the picture of what Paul is praying for. An absolute certainty that God is faithful. 
And here's the deal. The more you know Christ, the more you understand that, that those are truths that you can stand on. Those are things that guide your life. The more you understand Him, the more you appreciate His will and purpose for your life. And that's Paul's prayer. I want you to know that. But he also continues, he says, that you may know the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Now, don't miss what he's saying here. Whose inheritance is he talking about? Who's His? It's God's inheritance. And what is that inheritance? It's us. His inheritance in the saints. In other words, we are God's inheritance, His most prized possession. And Paul's prayer is, I am praying that you might know the fullness of the value you are in the eyes of God, your heavenly Father. As we've already learned, we've been chosen. Saved, sealed, redeemed. We've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. We are a child of God, a co-heir with Christ. A new creation, holy and blameless in His sight. Let me ask you, what would it be like to see ourselves the way God sees us? To appreciate the value of who we are in His sight. Would that change the way we see ourselves if we saw it through God's perspective? Would it change the way we see each other if we saw one another as God sees us and sees them? I don't know about you, but it would transform my life in significant ways. And that's Paul's prayer, is that you might know the riches of who you are in Christ, the value that you have in the eyes of God. And that you might live in that new identity because of who you are in Him. But he goes on. Talks about the hope of our calling, the, the understanding of God's purpose and will for our life. The riches of His inheritance, who we are in His eyes. But then he says, the surpassing greatness of His power towards you who believe. Paul wants us to grow in faith because we know and understand the power of God. And listen, this is why it's important to understand that word gnosis and epinosis. This is a knowledge through experience. It's knowing and understanding what it means to have a life that has been transformed by the power of God. And I've seen this. I've seen it over and over again in the lives of the people in this room. I've talked with several of you lately. You've given me permission to give little snippets of what that looks like. Let me begin with my good friend Jonathan Topp. Now, Jonathan will be the first to admit to you when we first sat down together a few years ago, he was, his heart was inclined to rebellion, <laughs> doing things that seemed right in his own eyes. And he wasn't experiencing the blessings of God when he was in control. But that's not the same Jonathan that sits right there in that pew this morning. Because his life has become increasingly surrendered to the power of God, and he's not the same anymore. Not too long ago, he had an old friend call him, an old girlfriend who said, hey, why don't we just hook up for a one-night stand? He called his good friend Jason, who's invested in his life. And Jason said, come over to my house. And when Jonathan walked in the door, 
Jason embraced him with a celebration of the power of God's work in his life to give him the ability to turn away and say no. That's not who I am. That is a life-transforming power. That's the evidence at God's work in his life. I've seen that power in many of your lives, and some of you, as you've worked through difficulties and some addiction, Kim Bishop, Kim and James are good friends who've recently joined our church family, moved from Belgium, been in the military, and, and they're new here. But early on, Kim was real honest to talk about part of her story, which includes God's deliverance from addiction. The power to transform her life that was destructive. She was homeless. Now she has a family. She's part of this body. And the thing that we need to understand is something that she reminded me of when we talked about it. She said, you know, that transforming power is not just some event in the past when I was delivered from addiction. But I need that same transforming power every day to live free from that very same addiction. I rely on the power of God every single day. And you know what? So do you and I. This is the power of God that transforms the lives of his people. That rescues us from a pit of de despair. The, that life of depression, discouragement. That helps us endure suffering. There are many of you who in this moment are going through a battle with cancer and illness. And I see the evidence of God's transforming power in your life. My good friend Bob Nyland, who walks faithfully with the Lord, trusting everything that he's doing in the midst of difficulties and discouragement, I'm sure, at times. But his heart and his attitude, if you talk to Bob, God's got this. He's in control. I remember it when my brother looked me in the eyes as he battled the disease of cancer. He said, Todd, look, I'm going to be healed. I don't know if it's this side of heaven or that side of heaven, but I will be healed. That's the promise of God's transforming power. And that's what Paul was praying, that each and every one of us increasingly learn to be true. The more you know Christ, the more you know the surpassing power of his greatness towards those who believe. Look at how he continues in verse 19. He said, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, which he raised from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul's prayer is based on the supremacy of Christ. Those prayers are grounded in that hope and promise, and that's how they're fulfilled, is through what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. That's the power that transforms our life. And I want you to notice how significant this is. It, it says that, that these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. The very power that transformed your life 
is the very same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave. Just think about that for a minute. The power that God promises to transform your life is the very same power that rose Jesus from the grave. And it's available to us because Jesus was given all authority. Not some authority, all authority. And just to be clear, uh, Paul describes the scope of that authority. Look at verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Every conceivable authority is given to Jesus Christ. There is no power greater than his. There is no realm in which he does not reign fully and completely. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, including you and I. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Those are the truths of Scripture. Our life is complete only when we walk in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. We cannot know his blessings outside of that connection. It's the way to experience the source of God's promises and truth. Where we find hope in his promises, value in his love, transformation in his power. And praise God when he tells us in his word that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul goes on to describe that critical connection that must take place in order for us to fully experience the promise of this hope. Listen to what he says again in verse 22. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, the authority of Christ is not just about his right to rule, about a relationship, and specifically a relationship that he has with his people, the church, the children of God. That is the relationship through which all the blessings of God ultimately flow. It is the critical connection necessary to experience the fullness of the promises that he's made. Paul uses the analogy of a body to, to make it very clear, and it could not be more clear. He says that Christ is the head, we are the body. So let me just ask you a simple question. Can the body exist outside of a connection to the head? Absolutely not. The head is the source of life. It keeps everything functioning. It makes sure all the parts work together as they're designed to do by their creator. The head gives purpose and direction. Blessings of God are only fully realized within the body of Christ. Christ has everything, and he gave everything, so that we might be complete in him. But it's a collective we. We've talked about this before. You can look through all of chapter 1, and you're going to see plural pronoun after plural pronoun after plural pronoun. <laughs> 
Because it's not only about me and my connection to Christ, it's us and our connection as a body of Christ to Jesus as the head. Part of being complete is being connected to one another. We are united under the headship of Christ. Now, as I prepared this sermon and warped through these truths, I'll be honest and tell you that my heart longed and still longs to experience them more and more every day. I want to know and have bold conviction on the promises of God. I want to experience the power of God to transform my life, to deal with those sin issues that become such an entanglement, to live with a greater hope, to find my identity in who I am in His sight. Now, I ex expect that even as I say that, a lot of that resonates with you, right? So, so the question is, how do we live in a greater fulfillment, a greater fullness of those truths? I think this passage gives us some great insight into understanding what that looks like. And I'm going to give you three, and I'm going to call them the got-tos, okay? <laughs> Based on our passage, these are the got-tos that we've got to have in order to experience the fullness of this prayer that Paul has prayed on our behalf. The first one is this. We've got to be connected. I, just think back to that picture of this incredible school that had this state-of-the-art uh, fire prevention system that did absolutely no good unless it was connected to a water source. Well, the same is true for you and I. We cannot experience the blessings of God if we are not walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ. We got to be connected. Now, for many of you, and I'll include myself in this, this needs to begin with a simple recommitment for some of us, new commitment for some of us, but to just have a heart and a life that is defined by a posture of prayer. I think that's a great place that all of us can begin. To, to begin with this heart and attitude of, of prayer before the Lord. After all, have you ever had a relationship with someone that you did not talk to? Anybody? And I know a lot of times we look at this and we say, well, yeah, but, you know, I've heard others pray and I can't pray like that. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. And Listen, do you know how to talk? Can you listen? If yes, then you know how to pray. You don't have to use special words. You don't have to be in a special place. This is a conversation. This is where you are honest about things that are going on in your heart and in your life. Hopes, dreams, discouragements, doubts. And you're just allowing those to be spoken to the Lord. And then you want to listen. You want to give Him an opportunity to, to speak into your life. And one of the ways that I am convinced and know to be true that God speaks into us, to our life, is through the message of His Word. I mean, that's why we do what we are doing this morning, because we want to hear what God has to say to what is happening in our life. And God's truths are revealed in His Word. So if you want to hear from God, then read your Bible. Spend time in His Word. And if you don't know where to begin... 
Let me point you to a place you've heard me point you to before. Go to the Psalms. It's a great place to go. It's a book of prayer. This is an honest conversation with God that's taking place in the book of Psalms. So if you want to know what that looks like, go read what David had to say as he journaled his prayers and then God gave them to us for us to see what it looks like to have a heart of prayer before the Lord. Experiencing God's blessing begins with cultivating a relationship with Jesus Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We've got to be connected to him. Now, God does speak through his word, and that's true. But he also speaks through his people. So here's the second got to. You've got to be in community in order to be connected to Christ. Had a great conversation with a friend this week. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul writes, he says, But now there are many members but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again to the head, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We already learned Christ is the head. We are the body. We can only experience the fullness of Christ when we are deeply connected to one another. It's part of his design. And here's why I think that's so very hard in our culture. And yes, it does have to do with the individualism that is such a high value in the culture in which we live. We've talked about that before, and that is absolutely relevant. But I think there's more to it than that. I think it also has to do with the media-driven world that makes it so very difficult to be present with one another. We stay connected with Facebook and Instagram. I mean, good grief. We can carry on entire conversations. Think about this. Entire conversations without ever speaking or writing a word. Snapchat, one right after the other. And I don't want you to hear me say that and go, oh gosh, here's the old guy talking about all the evils of technology. That's not what I'm saying. If you will, would you just give me a little bit and consider something? And I want you to just pay attention long enough to consider this truth and do with it as you will. If our enemy's goal is to separate us from a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think we would all agree that's true, right? That's our enemy's goal. Well, if, if that's our goal, or that's his goal, and, and if that relationship with Christ is deeply connected to our relationship with one another, then isn't it at least possible that part of Satan's strategy in taking away the fullness of Christ is leading us towards shallow relationships with one another? Isn't it possible? Wouldn't it be like him? You know, technology is a little bit like nuclear energy. It can be incredibly useful unless it gets into the hands of the wrong person and then it becomes incredibly destructive. Let's be honest. Community is no longer easy or even natural in the society in which we live. Community, by and large, is weak because it's based on common interest. But true biblical community is based on common experience. Life on life. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Weeping with those who weep. It's the example of Christ who drew near. So the stories I told you earlier about the transforming power 
in people's lives, those people are sitting right next to you. Do you know their story? Have you entered into that story? I mean, Kim did a great job of explaining and reminding me this is a daily experience of trusting and depending on Christ. I mean, she needs people around her, just like I need people around me, and you need people around you. Have you entered in? Have you drawn near? Biblical community is a deep and abiding presence, life on life. We've got to live in community if we want to be connected to Christ. And then finally, we've got to be connected to Christ. We've got to be connected to community. And here's the last one. And this probably is the hardest. We've got to give up control. We've got to give up control. Last week I told you about that group of men that I get together with every year and some of the things that I took away this year. But let me unpack that for you a little bit more. Here's the issue of control in my life, one of the versions. I have several. <clears throat> but let me highlight just one so you'll let me come back next week. If you hurt me, one of the things that I'll do to protect myself is create distance, create space, so that that way I protect myself from the ability of you wounding me again. And I think as I consider that in my own life, I find that it's easy for me to do the same in my relationship with God. If I'm disappointed in God, maybe something doesn't turn out like I'd hoped for, like I prayed for, like I expected it to, then I create distance there as well. I might lower my expectations <laughs> to avoid my disappointment. I don't necessarily expect God to come through in this sin-cursed world that's going to hell in a handbasket. I look at the election process like we're in right now, and it's easy for me to see all that's going on and go, why would we expect anything different? It's such a picture of the spiritual depravity of the world in which we live. And I'm giving God no opportunity to redeem that. Whether it's my relationship with others or my relationship with God, my greatest weakness is when I'm in control. Because that becomes like a shut-off valve to the blessings of God in my life. Because those only flow when I'm surrendered. When He's the one that's ultimately in control. Following Christ is a daily surrender. Following Christ is a daily commitment to abide in Him, to find life in Him, to be deeply connected with one another, life on life, to give up control. That's how we know the hope of His calling, the, His very purpose and will for our life, the riches of His inheritance, what it means to understand our identity in Him, the, the value and purpose that we have in His eyes. That's how we know the transforming power of His work in our hearts and our lives here's the bottom line he's got this he's got this he has full authority and there is nothing outside of his sovereign control he's got this and we can find our life and hope in him so here's my challenge for you i'm going to challenge you this morning to make a decision okay 
based on what we've talked about, I want you to think through those truths and make a decision. For some of us, it may be the decision to have a bold faith. It's not like the guy on all fours wondering if the ice is going to break with every step. But more like the chariot with six horses that's bolting across the ice saying, he's got this. And I can stand on these promises because I know they are true. Maybe that's the decision that you need to make. Maybe the decision is to be hopeful. To not look at the world around us and say, gosh, this place is so messed up. It's never going to be redeemed and, and this is even bigger than God can redeem. No, maybe this morning you need to make the decision to pray like you've never prayed before for the redemptive work in a sin-cursed world that glorifies God because the greater the darkness, the brighter the light. So let his light shine. Let them see your good works so they may glorify your Father in heaven. Maybe that's your commitment this morning. Maybe your commitment is to begin to walk faithfully connected to Christ. To realize that that's the source of all the spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That you've got to live a life that abides with him, that trusts in him, and just find that he's faithful. I, I don't know about you, but part of what Paul is trying to describe here is, look, you know a lot about who God is, but I'm challenging you to put it to the test, to find him to be faithful. And as you do, your faith will strengthen, your convictions will be bold, you will stand strong in a sin-cursed world, and you will proclaim the very truths of God and his power to redeem because you've experienced in your life and you live in deep connection with those who know the same. And so maybe this morning, that's your decision. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to pray for us and I want to give you some time to consider what that decision needs to look like in your heart and in your life this morning. So let me pray for us. Lord, you've got this. You've been given full authority, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. There is nothing outside of your sovereign control. And we experience the fullness of what you've made possible only when we relinquish our control, when we surrender our hearts to you so that we can experience the fullness of what you've made possible through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Help us to live lives that are deeply connected to him, that we might have a knowledge that not just is an accumulation of information, but it's a relationship, an experience of seeing these truths being lived out in our life, to experience that power transforming our life so that we can increasingly represent what it is to be a child of God. Father, help us to be deeply connected to each other, not just based on uh, things that we have in common, but things we experience with each other, being with life on life, deeply connected, entering into each other's stories, each other's hurts, difficulties, praise and rejoicing. Help us to be honest. Help us to be hopeful and come to the God who ultimately 
redeems all things, will accomplish all purposes, and fulfill all truths and promises that he's ever made. Who can change the hearts of kings like streams of water. May we believe it, may we pray for it, and may we look to you as the hope of our redemption. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful for your love for us. May we live in the love of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Have a great day.